Scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Janice, thanks for reading God's Word, and good morning to all of you who are watching at home. Uh, as we come to God's Word, let's uh, join our hearts in prayer and prepare ourselves to receive His truth. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You indeed for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken, and spoken so clearly. And Father, we pray that as we gather around Your truth, though we are not physically together, but your word is the same and your word continues to go forth we pray that your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts open our hearts to you help us to exalt christ to turn again to him to trust him to follow him uh, father we thank you indeed for those who labor in your word we remember specifically uh, j.i packer whom you called home to be with you father we thank you that he is in eternal rest with you in glory and father we we thank you for his ministry. We thank you for how so many of us have benefited from his writings. Uh, Father, we pray that we too would be faithful to your truth, just as he was. And we ask that your truth would have your way with us now, uh, work in us by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the highlights of my circuit breaker period was uh, actually sp spending time with my boys and watching movies with my boys. Uh, so we watched uh, all three Lord of the Rings movies. So some of you who are old enough, you remember Lord of the Rings. You know, I, I suddenly realized that those movies are about 20 years old. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling my age now. Uh, so I, we sat down over a weekend, I think it was over Friday and Saturday, and we watched all three movies, almost back to back. Uh, Zach and Ian, you know, they, they obviously were born uh, less than 20 years ago. So they, they had never seen the movies before, which, which came out earlier. So they really enjoyed it. So it was nice for me as a dad to kind of walk them through those movies. Uh, actually, 
watching the movies was more for my sake. <laughs> I wanted to watch the movies again. And the fact that my boys hadn't seen it was a convenient excuse for me to sit down and spend the whole weekend watching those movies. And for those of you who know the story, you know, The Lord of the Rings is an epic story about a journey. Right? It's really about a journey. And the two hobbits you know, that you see on the slide, Frodo and Sam, you know, they travel from the idyllic shire to the dreadful fires of Mount Doom in Mordor. You know, I think that's how you say it. In order to destroy the ring of evil. You know, and it is vital that our hobbits make this journey and arrive at the destination of Mount Doom. Uh, the fate of Middle-earth depends on it. The destination matters, but as you read the story, you, you realize the journey matters a lot as well. You know, as we follow Frodo and Sam on their travels, you know, we, we learn so much. We, we learn about them. Uh, we, we learn about friendship. We, we learn about courage. We learn about sacrifice. I, I think we all understand that life is not just a destination, it's the journey because there's so much we learn from walking the journey, living the journey. You know, our, our text for today is also about a journey. After a brief look at four Psalms of David, we are back in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And our passage today marks a key turning point in Luke's Gospel. It is the beginning of a journey. It is the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, which will take us all the way to the end of chapter 19. So if, if the next slide comes on, you can kind of see those two. Uh, no, I think the one before that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you can see those two passages kind of bracketing this whole section from Luke 9, 51, all the way to Luke chapter 19. And, and this whole section is really a journey that Jesus is making to Jerusalem. You know, if you look at Luke's gospel as a whole, the, the narrative of Jesus' journey makes up almost half of Luke's gospel. It contains many sayings and many parables, uh, many of whom are unique to Luke's gospel. For example, the, the Good Samaritan parable, that's unique to Luke's gospel. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son, another unique parable in Luke's gospel. You know, all that is found on this journey. From Luke, 19, Luke, from Luke 9 to Luke 19. And there's much we can learn from Jesus' journey. And he invites us to travel with him and to listen to him as he teaches us about who he is, what he will do, and how we are to follow him. Uh, so spoiler alert, you know, Jesus is headed to death and glory. That's what his journey is about. And if we are to be his disciples, that we must learn that his journey is also our journey. And Jesus calls us to follow him on the way to the cross before the crown. He calls us to follow him to death and to glory. So two points today as we meditate on these verses in our text. So number one, Jesus on the way to death and glory, verses, uh, verses 51 to 56. The passage starts out, by giving us a bit of a, a t the time stamp in verse 51. He says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the, 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 the phrase, the days drew near, really, it literally means the time is fulfilled. The time of fulfillment has come. Jesus is about to accomplish God's will. God's will is about to be done. 
And in, in verse 31, if you remember, in chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus had spoken with Moses and Elijah about his departure, his exodus. And the time has come for Jesus to complete his exodus, to redeem God's people. Everything is happening according to God's sovereign plan. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That, that phrase, set his face, means that he is determined to go to the cross. And actually, that, that phrase, set his face, alludes to this, this passage in Isaiah chapter 50, where Isaiah says, or rather the, the suffering servant in Isaiah 50 says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. I have set my face like a flint. Jesus knows what will happen to him in Jerusalem. But he is resolved to press on in obedience to his Father. Jesus set his face to die. He set his face to die. As, as we hear in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God the Father did not spare his beloved son, but sent him to die for sinners like us. You know, we've all turned away from God. God made us for his glory, but instead of serving him, you know, all of us, we have selfishly lived for ourselves. We've all rejected the God who made us. And, and this is what the Bible calls sin. So sin is not just I do bad things. Sin is actually a rebellion and a rejection of God's ways where we turn aside from him, we turn to our own ways. And sin deserves God's righteous judgment. But God, who is loving, gracious and merciful, he sent his son on a rescue mission. And Jesus, when he sets his face to Jerusalem, he is accomplishing this rescue mission whom that God has, had sent him on. Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience to God that we should have lived. And at the cross, Jesus will die the death that we should have died for our sins. And because of what Jesus has done, he is able to save us from our sin and bring us back to God if we trust in him to be our Lord and Savior. So Jesus set his face to accomplish God's will to save sinners. You know, we, we sung earlier, Behold the wondrous mystery. You know, the, the cross should be a wondrous mystery to us. Right? The, the, cross should, the cross should fill us with amazement. You know, we, we should be so humbled that Jesus should set his face to die for sinners like us, undeserving sinners like us. You know, what a marvel that the eternal Son of God should give his life for us. So I pray that the cross today would help us to see the seriousness of our own sin, that the costliness of our rebellion against God, that, that sin is not just, I did something wrong, but, but sin is a turning away from God and it took the life of God's Son to atone for sin. May the cross help us to grasp the heights of God's love for us. May, may the cross compel us to, to give ourselves completely to Christ as we sing in the hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my love, de demands my soul, my life, my all.
Jesus will die. But death doesn't win. You notice in the verse, Jesus says, or rather the verse says, Jesus will be taken up. What does it mean to be taken up? Not just lifted up on the cross, but, but the phrase taken up refers to how Jesus will defeat death through his resurrection and he will be taken up in glory as, as he ascends to the Father's right hand as the triumphant King. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The crown comes after the cross. He will be lifted up in glory. Now, Jesus sends his disciples ahead to a Samaritan village to be messengers of this good news, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus, this good news. And he sends them ahead to proclaim him, to tell the Samaritans about him. And this is surprising because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They, they disliked, maybe dislike is a bit of a weak term, they, they hated one another. They despised one another. So Jews traveling from Galilee in the north of Israel to Jerusalem in the south of Israel, they would avoid Samaria by going around the region. Right? So instead of going the most direct route through Samaria, they would take a detour just to avoid having to go through Samaria, you know, just to avoid having to have any contact with Samaritans. So by intentionally passing through Samaria, Jesus does different. He, he shows that he has a heart for all peoples, not just the Jews, but he is the light of the world. And the gospel is for everyone, both Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles like us. But the Samaritans reject Jesus. You know, it says in verse 53 that the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritans did not welcome Jewish pilgrims passing through their region to the, to the temple in Jerusalem because their own temple on Mount Gerizim was destroyed by the Jews. You can imagine the animosity when they, they see these Jewish pilgrims kind of trying to do a shortcut through Samaria. Of course, they despise them because this, the Jews had destroyed their own temple, the, the Samaritan temple. And so they reject Jesus because they knew that he was going to Jerusalem. Luke wants us to see that rejection is a recurring theme in Jesus' life. If, if you look at the larger storyline of Luke's gospel, at the start of his earthly ministry, Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Here, he is rejected in Samaria. And later on, we'll see in Jerusalem, he will be rejected again. Rejection characterizes the life of Jesus. It's no wonder that he is the suffering servant who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. No, but, but James and John don't understand this. You know, they, they, they get angry that the Samaritans have rejected the message and then they want to rain heavenly fire down on the Samaritan village to wipe it out. You know, you know, Jesus had told his disciples earlier that if a, if a village doesn't accept you, what do you do? You, you shake the dust from your feet and you kind of move on to the next village, right? Well, but for James and John, shaking the dust from their feet is not enough. They, they want to reduce the village to dust. You know, we, we see how they got their nickname, Sons of Thunder, right? Jesus turns and he rebukes them. 
I, I think we need, we need to see very clearly Jesus' response to his disciples. He rebukes them. The disciples are expecting a Messiah who conquers with earthly power. They're expecting a Messiah who intimidates, right, with, with shock and awe, who, who, cow, who, bring, who makes people cower into submission. They're not expecting a Messiah who self-sacrificially suffers as a servant. And this is surprising because Jesus has spoken to his disciples about his impending death, not once, but twice. Right here in Luke chapter 9, you know, Jesus has predicted his death in verse 22. He's predicted his death again in verse 44. But the disciples still do not understand they don't understand that Jesus will triumph. Yes, he will win, but not in the way that they wanted. Indeed, Jesus will judge sin, but he will judge sin by bearing the judgment of sin on himself. That, that's how he judges sin in his coming. He will defeat death by dying. There will be a future judgment, friends, for those who reject Jesus. But now, now is the day of salvation. Friends, how are we harsh and impatient with others? You know, do we see James and John and ourselves? You know, I want to rain fire down on this person. Maybe we, we want to physically harm them, but we certainly want to harm them in our hearts or we despise them in our minds, in our thoughts, in our attitudes? In what ways are we quick to criticize? In what ways are we quick to judge? You know, like Jesus' disciples, have we lost sight of how Jesus has come to save sinners? You know, when people reject us, when people reject the gospel, we might be tempted to take personal offense and to respond harshly, ungraciously, impatiently. But friends, how does our conduct undermine the very message of grace that we purport to bring? Do our lives actually undermine the gospel? You know, thankfully, Jesus is not like his disciples. He still shows grace. As the passage tells us, despite being rejected in one village, what does he do? He goes on to another village. He doesn't leave Samaria for good, but, but he goes on to another village in Samaria. He continues to seek and to save the lost. And friends, the good news is that he is still pursuing us today. So today, when we hear the good news of Jesus, don't harden our hearts and take his grace for granted. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. So as you hear the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection on behalf of sinners, he calls you today to come to him, to trust him. Today is the day of salvation, friends. This day will not last forever, but it is now. So come now and know Jesus. Let's go on to the second point of our text today. and We'll think about how not to follow Jesus. And we'll see this in verses 57 and 62. And we realize that Jesus is also patient with his disciples. Right? They, you know, he rebukes them, 
but he doesn't send them away. You know, he doesn't say, okay, that's it. You, know, you guys don't get it, so forget it. I'm going to get new disciples. No, he rebukes them, but they continue to journey with him. He's patient with them. They continue to walk with him towards Jerusalem. And friends, when we follow Jesus, we may not understand everything about him right away. We, we may not understand the, the full implications of what it means to follow him at once. But he calls us to keep journeying with him. He calls us to keep walking with him day by day, to walk with him towards the cross. Now, verse 37 tells us that the disciples were going along the road with Jesus. And, you know, I, I don't quite like the ESV translation, going along the road. I, I think it, it literally says they were walking with him along the way, along the way. You know, they, they continued to walk with Jesus along the way. And this is why Christianity was known as the way. So before Christianity was known as Christianity, it was called the way. If you read the book of Acts, uh, Christianity is called the way, and followers of Jesus are called those who belong to the way. That's what, that's what it means to be a Christian. You belong to the way. Whose way? The way of Jesus. Right? So you follow the way. That's what it means to be a Christian. And, and so the, 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 verse 57 kind of highlights that for us. Right? They were walking along the way with Jesus. They were following him as, he was, as he's headed to death and glory. And I recently watched uh, the, the Last Dance on Netflix. So those of you who grew up in the 90s, you know, you, you know, you know the Chicago Bulls basketball team in the 1990s. You know, that's when they won the, the two three-peats. You know, I think no other team has done two three-peats. Right? So three NBA championship titles back-to-back in the, in the first part of the 90s and then in the second part of the 90s. You know, this was the era of Michael Jordan, right? one of the greatest basketballers of all time. You know, if, if you grew up in the, in the 90s, you, you know that one of the slogans of that time was, be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Uh, so this show, the, the Last Dance, looks at the Chicago Bulls basketball team, but also looks at Michael Jordan. So the interviews of Michael Jordan, there's a lot of historical footage of his games, of, of, of his interviews in the past as well. The show took a very honest look at Jordan, you know, both the good of Michael Jordan as well as the not-so-good of Michael Jordan. You know, as I watched this show, I realized that, wow, you know, I'm beginning to learn a lot about Michael Jordan, and I realized that, you know, he, he wasn't the, the hero that I had thought he was. You know, do I really want to be like Mike? I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> you know, as the, as the saying goes, you know, never meet your heroes because they are sure to disappoint you. <laughs> but, but Jesus is not like that, is he? You know, the, the more we know him, the more we want to follow him. That's why he invites us to walk with him along the way. Who are our heroes or heroines? What way are we following? Are we following the, the typical Singaporean way of succeeding at school and career, you know, enjoying food and travel, owning a nice home and lots of nice things, and then retiring comfortably? at the end of our lives, having sent our kids to the best schools? You know, is, is that the way that we are following? Is that the narrative that we are hoping for in our lives? You know, are we walking our own way 
while still expecting Jesus to bless our plans and goals. I want to say that again. I want us to think about this. Are we walking our own way while still expecting Jesus to bless our plans and goals? Whose way are we following? To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. All Christians are disciples. And to be a disciple is to walk the way Jesus walked. Right? We are followers of Jesus on the way. To be a disciple is to follow in his footsteps to his destination of death and glory. His journey is our journey. So we die with him that we might live with him. And that's why the New Testament writers kind of pick up on this idea. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's to follow the way of Jesus. Peter says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example is something, is someone that you emulate, that you imitate. He's not just our saviour, he is also our example. Peter says he's an example so that you might follow in his steps on the way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And I love the quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, he wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. It's worth reading. And he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And then later on in the book, Bonhoeffer says these words, such grace is costly, because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because, us, because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, but it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Friends, salvation is free, but it is not cheap. We come to Christ empty-handed because He must save us. But if Jesus is Lord, then we must give him lordship over every part of our lives. He must rule over my desires and my affections. He must rule over my plans and my ambitions. He must rule over my relationships. He must rule over my sexuality. He must rule over my marriage, my choice of marriage partner. He must rule over my family, the way I parent. He must rule over the way I treat my parents. He must rule over how I do my work or why am I doing my work in the world. He must rule over my retirement as well. Friends, we, we cheapen God's grace when we try to hold anything back from Christ. Salvation is free, but it will cost us everything. 
Salvation will cost us everything. To paraphrase what David said in the Old Testament, how can we offer to God that which cost us nothing? We worship God by giving ourselves to Him completely as living sacrifices. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Him. So what is He calling us to put down and forsake so that we wholeheartedly follow Him today? John Piper says the surprise about Jesus the Messiah is that he came to live a life of sacrificial dying service before he comes a second time to reign in glory. And the surprise about discipleship is that it demands a life of sacrificial dying service before we can reign with Christ in glory. Martin Luther, he contrasted uh, the theology of the of glory with the theology of the cross. And Martin Luther said that we, we all want the theology of glory, but we just want to enjoy glory, but we don't want a theology of the cross because we know that the theology of the cross involves dying with Jesus before the crown. And along the way, Jesus encounters three examples of how not to follow him. Uh, the first of these would-be disciples comes to Jesus and confidently declares, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 57. But Jesus kind of sees through that and Jesus, real, Jesus knows that his commitment is shallow. And because what did Jesus say to him in response? Jesus warns him to count the cost of discipleship. Now, this man is coming to him all enthusiastic, but Jesus says, hey, wait up, wait up. Have you counted the cost of following me? And he says to the man in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, not even a home to call his own. Now, isn't that surprising? Not even a home to call his own. Yeah, it, it's remarkable that Jesus doesn't hide the fine print. He, he doesn't kind of keep the bad stuff to the side in order to so-called seal the deal. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want quick and easy decisions. No, he's not looking for quick and easy decisions to follow him. Jesus is honest and realistic about the cost of discipleship, and we should be too. When we do evangelism, we should be honest and realistic with others about what it means to follow Jesus. We shouldn't soft-sell the message of the gospel. We shouldn't hide the fine print, but we should be very upfront, telling people that salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. But do you still want to follow Jesus? That's what Jesus does here with this man. And he, he, he warns this man, right? He says to this, essentially he says to this man, hey, I'm not promising you a life of success. I'm not promising you a life of ease. I'm not promising you a life of earthly comfort. I'm not promising you health. I'm not promising you wealth. Remember the parable of the four soils? Some of the seed falls on the rocks. And these are those who, when they hear the word, they, they receive it with joy, right? They're really happy right away. But Jesus says they have no root. And in time of testing, they fall away. Will we remain committed to Christ when he calls, to, when he calls us to follow him to the cross? 
Following Jesus means living as a sojourner and a pilgrim in this fallen world. Following Jesus means that our goal is not our best life now, because we realize that our citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, we can live sacrificially now because we know that our hope is set on the new heavens and new earth. We bear the cross now for the joy set before us, the joy of an eternity spent in the new creation with Christ. So to follow Jesus, we must treasure Jesus. Is he enough for us? Are are we content to say, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ? And to the second man who comes, Jesus says, Follow me. And this command is in the present tense, right? Not just follow me once, but follow me in an ongoing way, continuously. Jesus invites this man to discipleship, not just a one time decision, but a continual commitment to keep following him. Jesus calls this man, he calls us, to a new way of living, trusting and obeying him along the way. And the man replies to Jesus in verse 59, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, at first, this sounds like a reasonable request. You know, this man wants to fulfill his filial obligations to his parents, and obviously burying his father is a key part of honouring his parents which makes Jesus' response in verse 60 very shocking. You know, you know, when, we, when we hear Jesus' response, it, it sounds almost cold and unfeeling. It, it, sounds, it sounds almost insensitive. Right? When you say, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, that's, that's some tough love going on in verse 60. And what, what are we to make of what Jesus says? You know, it, it may be that the man was giving an excuse to delay following Jesus. You know, maybe his father had not yet died and the man wanted to postpone discipleship until he settles all his family matters. So maybe this man wanted to, de- to delay discipleship. Or, or maybe this man just had his priorities wrong. He kind of put certain things above Jesus, even good things like family. And why do we delay discipleship? You know, what makes us delay discipleship? You know, maybe we say things like, oh, you know, I want, I want to wait until I'm married. Or I, I, want, I want to, you know, I, or, or I just got married. Or I just had children. My children are too young. My parents are too old. Now, friends, are we waiting for the perfect time before we devote ourselves completely to Jesus? The bad news is that there is no perfect time before we devote ourselves completely to Jesus. Jesus says following him must take priority even over important things like our family duties. Now he says to leave the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. And he's saying the spiritually dead do not know Jesus and they are concerned only for worldly things. So leave them to be concerned about worldly things. But if you are disciples of Jesus, he calls us now to live not for worldly things, not to center our lives around worldly concerns, as important as those may be, but rather he says to center our lives around him, around the kingdom of God. And he says our highest priority is to glorify him 
by proclaiming the kingdom of God, by making him known. That is our highest priority as his disciples. You know, this is why the script this is why scripture says it is good to stay single for the sake of God's kingdom. You know, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. It is a commendable thing, he says, to remain single for the sake of the gospel. So if, if you are single, don't feel as though you are somehow incomplete. And to my married friends, if, if you have single friends, don't keep pressing them to get married as though they are somehow incomplete. Instead, we should encourage the singles among us to consider how we can use our singleness for His glory. Why? Because the kingdom of God takes priority even over our families. So whether we are single or whether we are married, we're asking ourselves the same question. How am I following Jesus? You know, as a father of two boys, as, as I read this passage, I was challenged to think about my own parenting. You know, this passage made me think and to ask myself this question. Am I raising my two sons to fulfill my hopes and dreams for them? Or am I raising my two sons to fulfill God's plan for them? I think every parent should ask themselves this question. We should honour our parents, we should love our husband or wife, we should care for our children, but as important as our family obligations are, they should not keep us from wholeheartedly following Christ. In fact, I, I put it to us that if we follow Christ, we will be better at fulfilling our family obligations. They shouldn't compete. You know, later in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says these challenging words, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, verse 26. So we've seen two examples of how not to follow Jesus. We cannot follow Jesus with shallow commitment and we cannot follow him if we keep trying to delay our devotion to him. And then there's a third man, who says to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. You know, when Jesus calls, it's usually not a good idea to say yes, but. You know, Jesus diagnoses the man's divided and distracted heart. So he says to the man in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it's, it's an agricultural illustration, and maybe it makes more sense to us if we put it in modern terms. You can't drive straight if you keep looking in the rearview mirror. Right? You can't walk straight if you keep looking over your shoulder, looking back over your shoulder. Basically, Jesus is saying, we cannot follow him if we keep looking back. We cannot follow him if we keep looking back, longing for our old way of life. If we keep longing for this passing world. You know, remember Lot's wife. I think that, that's a very good Bible verse to remember. You know, remember Lot's wife. You know, she looked back and lost everything. Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Looking back is trying to preserve our life as we know it. But Jesus says, whoever loses his life will keep it. 
You know, before Augustine, you know, that, that famous church father, before Augustine became a Christian, he famously prayed or, or infamously prayed, Lord, grant me holiness, but not yet. <laughs> so he may have wanted Jesus, but he wanted his sin. He wanted his old way of life even more. You know, friends, have, have we asked ourselves, why do we not cling to Jesus more? Is it because our hands are full holding on to other things. And if I'm holding on to something else, I can't hold on to Jesus. Where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. And Jesus says to us today, you know, will we let go of other treasure because Christ is true treasure and he's worth it? You know, will we let go of the other things that we cling on to, that we long for, that we can't turn away from? Are we willing to let them go in order to cling on to Christ? You know, in, in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah, when Elijah called Elisha to take up the mantle of being God's prophet, you know, in that passage, Elisha sacrificed the 12 oxen he had been plowing with. He even burned the yoke that his oxen was bound by. It's a very powerful image of Elisha leaving his former life behind. He knew that when God called, there was no looking back. As Paul says in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Friends, we will not let go of earthly treasure until we realize that Christ is far surpassing treasure. So it's not enough to just let go. It's what we need to do is to see how precious Christ is. And then, of course, we will cling to Him because He is true treasure, friends. He is true treasure. So Paul says, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. As Jim Elliot says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Around 150 years ago, missionaries brought the gospel to Assam in northeast India. It was a time of great hostility to the faith. Believers faced great persecution and opposition but some still became followers of Jesus in that place. And in one particular village, the local, church, the local uh, village chief forced a new convert and his family to renounce their faith or die. They brought this man and his family before the, the rest of the village, and he said, renounce Jesus or you'll all be killed. And they refused. And the man watched as his family was slaughtered before his eyes. And before the man himself was executed, he said these words to the village chief. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind. No turning back, no turning back. Now, these were the last, word, this, these were the last, last words of Nok Singh, a man from the Garo tribe in India. And his words of commitment to Christ 
were later written into a hymn by Indian missionary Sadhu Sundar Singh. And the words of Nok Singh continue to echo through the years, and they call us to count the cost of discipleship, to count the cost of following Jesus. And these words ask us this question, have we decided to follow Jesus, to journey him, to journey with him to death and glory? No turning back. Friends, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed for a gracious Savior. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he says about himself. We thank you that he is honest with us about the cost of following him. And yet he also promises us life, life that can never be taken away, treasure that can never pass away, that can never fade away. Friends, indeed, Jesus is true treasure. And Father, we pray that as we come to your words, Father, we pray that you would help us to take to heart what you are saying to us. We pray that we would take to heart this invitation that you are extending to us now. Help us to turn away from ourselves. Help us to turn away from the passing things of this world. Help us to lay down our other treasure in order to cling on to Christ, who is the true treasure. Father, we pray that you would help us move in our hearts by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.